0: regarded john to be a prophet but when herod's birthday came the daughter of herodias danced before them and it pleased herod so much so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked having been prompted by her mother she said give me here on a platter the head of john the baptist although he was grieved the king commanded it to be given because of his oath And because of his dinner guests, we'll talk about who they were. He sent and he had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. His disciples, that is the disciples of John, came and took away the body and buried it. And they went away and reported to Jesus about the death of John. What we're going to learn here and what we're going to see is that John believed in one God who was the ultimate and absolute truth. Herod did not believe. And this is how it plays out. In verses 1 and 2, what we learn is that Herod heard about Jesus and his miracles and was sure and so feared that he was really John the baptizer resurrected from the dead. So he was against uh, what John was saying. He didn't like what John said about him, so he had him uh, put in prison. He was afraid to kill him because everybody in town thought that John was a real prophet. He thinks now that after he's killed him that John has been resurrected from the dead and so he can't get rid of this guy and he's going to go through the same stuff. So he's a little bit afraid. In verse 1, Matthew tells us that Herod Antipas is about to start questioning some of his past decisions that he made here about what he did with John. He did a very evil thing to a man of God. He did a very evil thing to a prophet of God. And he did it because he was more concerned about saving face with people than he was in doing what was just and right and championing righteousness. It comes. To, it came to pass that the king hears about a man named Jesus, and he hears about what Jesus is doing and what he's teaching. It sounds an awful lot like John used to sound, and this disturbs him, uh, because the things that he hears about Jesus, his miracles and how he works them and the people, how they like him, and that he is a man who stands against sin, he is just like John, and perhaps he is John. So he surmises that the man that he murdered, John the Baptizer, has come back from the dead. He is not the originator of this theory. Others have been speculating uh, this case about Jesus, and they came up with that. So I want to uh, just back that up with what Mark says. If you want to look in Mark chapter 6 uh, and verses 14 and 15. Mark 6, 14 and 15 says this. And King Herod, he's talking about Herod Antipas, heard of it, for his name had become well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, meaning Jesus. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, he is a prophet, or he's like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, had risen. So he's got a lot of guilt about killing John. He's, uh, he's worried about it. He doesn't know what God is doing. He raised this man from the dead and what's going to happen to him. So people were also talking about the theories of who Jesus is. And one of the popular ones that he was also Elijah, come back. Because Elijah was prophesied at the end of the Old Testament to be coming back in the end time. So they said, this must be Elijah, the prophet. Or, or at least he's like one of the prophets of old. Look at what he's doing. Now, the last time we heard about John the baptizer, uh, he was in prison and he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one we're looking for or should be looking for someone else? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Because things weren't turning out for John the way that he thought they should and the kingdom didn't come and now he's in prison. So he wonders what's going on. We talked about that in Matthew chapter 11 when we went through that. And hopefully we still remember the answers for that. But anyway, they go and they ask Jesus, are you the right one? Jesus says, yeah, you go back and you tell John what you see me doing. People are being raised from the dead. The lame are walking, the deaf are hearing. And all the stuff that was promised of Messiah is taking place. And so, no, you should not be looking for another. You found the right man. It's me. I'm the Messiah. Well, we get to chapter 14 and we find out that John is dead. We didn't hear about that until now. So the question is, what happened to John? All right, so from here to verse 12, Matthew fills us in on what were the events that led to John's death and his demise. As they say, here's the backstory to the whole issue. Here's what really happened. And that begins in verse 3. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. So when a believer offends someone with the truth, that person is going to exact revenge. Now we'll be talking about those feelings. You know what it's like to be doing something and somebody says, wait a minute, you're wrong about that. That's, that's not true. That's not, the way, that's not really how it happened. Things didn't go that way. That's not what's really going on. And you, it makes you feel bad inside. It makes you feel like you're being attacked. It makes you embarrassed. It makes you angry. And you don't want to listen to that. Well, I'm sure that all these things are a part of what Herodias and Herod were feeling when John the baptizer is out there preaching on the streets of Jerusalem and and the surrounding area that our, our ruler, Herod, is living in sin. He's living in sin because he married the wife of his brother, and now he thinks that he's back and he's going to come after him probably. In verse 3, the word for tells us the reason or the purpose for which everyone is thinking that Jesus is some religious man, risen from the dead, or that he is Elijah. It's because of the great things that he's doing. Here's the account of Antipas's murder of John in order to look like a man of his word. Now he is having second thoughts because of Jesus, whom he thinks is John, raised from the dead. How do you deal with somebody that just won't die, is what he's thinking. And he must feel a sense of, I'm in trouble. How does one deal with an enemy that can't be put to death? And by the way, I just want to remind you that there may be days coming for us when it's going to get tough to follow Jesus Christ, and it won't be, you know, in in a nice uh, air-conditioned building with uh, padded pews uh, of a beautiful color and all that stuff, and everything's going fine. It isn't always going to be that way. Uh, There, there are times in the past, and maybe times in the future, certainly in the tribulation for those who become Christians there, but Paul reminds us about who we really are. And he says, just as it is written in Romans 8, 36, for your sake, for the sake of God, we are being put to death all day long. The idea is we're here to die for Christ. That's not a big deal. That's what we signed up for. For your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered for the name of Jesus Christ. That's not a big deal. So anything less than that is just gravy for us. But if we die, that's also where God wants us to be, if we die for Jesus Christ. So uh, that's not a real problem for us who know God. For those who don't know God, it is a real problem that there is death. Herod had John arrested because his, and it's uh, we'll put it in quotes, because his wife was offended by what John said about her marriage to Antipas. It's really Herodias who can't stand John the most because he said something bad about their choice to get married, and John says it is illegal. John apparently had the audacity to point out that it was against God's law for a man to marry his brother's wife. She had obviously, we think, at least divorced Philip the, the first, but... Uh, either way, it's illegal. And I want to look at that at Leviticus 18 and verse uh, 16, Leviticus 18:16, which tells us why it was illegal. It says, you shall not, this is a law of God. And by the way, John thinks Herod, who is a Gentile, should abide by the law of God. And by the way, everyone, whether they follow Jesus or not, is going to hear about the law of God at their judgment. And they're going to find out, you should have followed what I said, even though you didn't belong to me. It says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. All right, so we see from there uh, that that was a problem. We look at chapter 20 and verse 21. And it says, if there is a man who takes his brother's wife, it is abhorrent. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. So God adds uh, a little uh, issue for them, that they will be childless if they do that. Well, they did it. And uh, they don't like the fact that John is talking about it. Uh, Craig Keener said this, and I think it's important for us to understand. And I'm quoting. The more evil a society becomes, are you with me? The more evil a society becomes, and ours is certainly on the fast track, the more likely its members are to kill the righteous whose words or lives reproach its character, even if they recognize the righteous are speaking the truth. You hear that? The unbeliever doesn't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong and it goes against God, and you shouldn't do it. And he says there is within those people the ability to even rise up and put those people to death if they have the audacity to say what you're doing is wrong. And he said that uh, that's, that's a strong feeling that people have. And we should expect as the world and society gets more evil, there will be more of this. What did John do that was such a fatal mistake? Well, what he did was he called sin, sin. But it was of someone who was very powerful. Now, you can call sin, sin to some of your friends who don't know Jesus Christ, and they'll get mad at you, and they may say some things about you. They don't want anything to do with you. Uh, How dare you say that? And the normal response when you say that to somebody says, oh, yeah, who are you to tell me that I have something wrong with me? Let me tell you a few things about you. You know, you think you're so high and mighty and so good. Uh, You did this, you did this, and you did this. So who are you to say that to me? John made the fatal mistake of calling the king and his new wife sinners. Death was often the result of an accusation against a king, or if you will please, a Jezebel. And that's really the kind of person we're dealing with here. There were political, political ramifications as well in this sin. Someone pointed out that Antipas was going to divorce his Nabataean princess to marry Herodias. So he's already married again. He divorces her to marry Herodias. When the princess's father, King Aretas, in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 32-33, talks about him, when he found out he didn't like it and he later went to war with Antipas, who was publicly humiliated by the whole thing, people fought it, God avenging the death of his prophet, John the Baptizer, as reported by Josephus, the ancient historian of the Jewish people who worked for Rome. In other words, it created some political problems, some big ones for Herod, and some people said, this, this thing about John the Baptist, that's because of God's anger with you, the king. Well, we learn in verse 5, although Herod wanted to put him to death, that was his real heart, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet of God. So the only thing that kept him alive for a while was that everybody thought John was a true prophet. So we learned this again here. uh, People don't like their sin pointed out to them. Think about that the last time somebody looked at you and, and pointed out something that was wrong with what you were doing, how you felt inside. How did you respond to that? All right? People don't like their sin being pointed out. They don't like to be made to look bad in the eyes of other people. How much do people hate having themselves portrayed as having been sinful or wrong. As far as I understand, the world wants us to stop using the word sin anymore and uh, not not say that. The Bible says it. It makes them even want to get to the point to kill a person who has accused them, or make trouble for them, or talk behind their back, or do things to, to make things bad for them. The only thing that kept him from killing John was that people liked him and thought that he was a genuine prophet of God. In other words, he's in the midst of this religious community. They all think of John very highly. And so the king says, all right, I'm not, not going to kill him, at least not right away. And we learned that decisions by political rulers like kings are often made on the basis of what is popular and not what is right. So things like the holiness of John, the respect John had with the people, even the fear that John Uh, brought about uh, to Antipas and is disgust for Antipas is a typical result when we are talking about people like John. John was good. He was a man of God. Antipas didn't like it and was disgusted with him for saying that he had done something wrong. Uh, But those who are committed to God's standard speak God's standard. John did that. John didn't back away. I'm sure John knew that he was going to be in trouble if he started picking on the king and his new wife. And he, he said what he thought the Bible said. And it's exactly what the Bible does say. He said, it's illegal for you to do this. He made that public. And so mostly Herod, but mostly his wife Herodias, was out to get him. The ex-wife of Antipas's brother wanted to kill him. Why does the world hate the church so much? It is because of the standard that we uphold. And if you uphold that standard in our world today, People will be angry with you. People will not like you. People will try to hurt you. They'll try to say things about you. So other people pick up on that and hate you as well. Now, verses 6 through 11, where we learn the wicked will plan and carry out murder against those who don't make, who don't make them feel good about their sin. Well, uh, looking back again at Mark chapter 6. In verse 21, we pick up a a little tidbit there that's going to help us understand this. It says, Mark is talking about this same situation of the death of John, and he says, a strategic day. And he could have written in there for Herodias, because that's who this is about. Came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet, notice, for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So when, the daughter, when, when her daughter, Salome of Herodias herself, came in and danced, it pleased Herod. And after dinner, he said, I'll give you whatever you want. And guess what she asked for? Well, Mark has helped us understand exactly what's going on. This is Herodias's chance. It's a strategic day for her to unfold her plan against John, which is to have his head taken off. It is not good enough for her that he's in jail. It's not good enough that he's taken off the streets. Death is all she wants. It was the king's birthday, and she knew how to gain the king's favor to do uh, that deed that she's been dreaming about. And by the way, did you catch who's there? The political rulers, the heads of the state under Herod, military leaders, leading people of the city. So this is a pretty highfalutin crowd, and he wants to impress them. Uh, She had her daughter Salome, a young girl, get this, Uh, She was probably anywhere between 12 and 14 years old when she did her dance for the king and for his guests. And in verse 7 tells us that Antipas liked it so much that he promised to give her whatever she asked for. And then in verse 8 it says, having been prompted by her mother. So this is really about what mom wants. She said, give me here, in other words, do it now, on a platter the head of John the Baptist. What a gruesome thing to ask for at a banquet. What a grisly thing that's going to happen. Her mother prompted her to ask for the head of John the Baptist. She wanted it delivered on what you would send something to a queen on, a very nice platter. The Greek word for prompt, in other words, what she did to Salome, is it means to cause, to come forward. To push forward, to incite someone. In other words, mom was going to have this if it's the last thing she did. Salome, what you're going to ask from the king is to deliver his head on a platter to me. It was Herodias' desire that was going to be fulfilled. What a horrible request for a person to make, but she made it. It flies in the face of justice. It flies in the face of righteousness and morality. An old commentator uh, who's since passed away, Dr. Plumtree, said this, and it was off-cited, and he says it deserves repeating at this point in the text. He says, and I quote, like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. Like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. Well, who's in the banquet hall? His military commanders, the political leaders, leading Gentiles in the area. Well, he, they all heard him give his word that he would give her whatever she wants. Now they know what she wants. He doesn't want to lose face with them. Forget doing what's right, forgetting what what doing is just, and do it. But what you learn, and I think what Herod was fearing, was you can kill God's prophets, you can kill the messenger, but you cannot kill God or His word. And the messenger John is gone, but Jesus is here. When Jesus is gone, the disciples will be here, and he's still going to be. They're still going to be confronting the leaders, and they still won't like it. So in verse 9, although he was grieved, because another place tells us he used to like to hear John talk. Um, that's in Mark 6.20. But it says, the godless king, though grieved, commanded the immediate murder of the baptizer. Grieved, mostly because he was afraid of John. He really liked listening to John. And this explains the king, how the king's fear uh, was found out and what it was about back in the beginning of this passage. For all the wrong reasons the king gave the order. Have you ever made a decision in your life that was not righteous to save face with your friends? Have you ever went along with your friends to do something you knew was wrong but you didn't want to lose face with them, you didn't want them to think bad of you, you do it because they did it and so we'll all do it and then you felt terrible afterwards? Well, We should do what is righteous regardless of what the face of our friends are going to look like when they find out. The point is, John feared God. Do we? Do we fear God more than we do this pagan, godless, God-hating world? Do we fear God enough, even opposed to a worldly Christian who wants to do things they shouldn't do, do we fear God enough to say, no, I am not going to do that. I'm going to follow what God wants me to do. Pagans fear being looked down on by their friends and their family. Believers should only fear what God has to think of something. Then, and finally, in verses 10 and 11, or close to finally, John loses his head for upholding the word of God. Paul said, we're okay with that. Romans 8, uh, we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered for Jesus Christ. I'm not sure it's something we're looking forward to, but it's not going to stop our relationship with God if they take our life. John loses his head for upholding the word of God. He just merely said, you're in sin. You should not have your brother's wife. His standards of right and wrong were what he lived by, and it didn't matter what it cost him. How do you respond when someone points out your sin? Do you respond like King David and say, I have sinned against God and God alone and repent or do you look like Antipas and you want to get revenge you want to make that person hurt for what they said how dare they call you out on your sin Herodias snuffed out the life of a man of God but she could not escape her conscience that still went on neither did she escape the judgment of God when she stood before him after her death and she finally figured out what the truth really is. Despite the very real threats to his life, John served his master and his master's word to the end. And you and me, we want to be like John, don't we? No matter what it costs us. And then in verse 12, the disciples are allowed to take the body of God's servant and honor John with a decent burial. Probably not his head, but the rest of him. Interesting in this text, in verse 12, the word for body in the Greek text is a word that indicates a corpse, especially one that was killed by violence. This is a violent death. John's disciples went and informed Jesus of the sad events. Jesus is going to uh, remove himself from the area for a little while because of it. Herod had rejected and destroyed one of God's prophets. 2 Chronicles 36.16 reminds us that this has been taking place throughout the ages. Men of God, women of God speak for God, and people kill them for what they've done. Herod had good reason to fear God, as all who reject his son have a good reason to fear God. But we can change that fear into friendship by bringing them to faith in Christ, by telling them the truth. And before we go, I want to note that two commentators, Dr. Davies and Dr. Allison, commenting on this passage, agree that this passage should be called the Christological parable. It is really, they say, an illustration of what is going to happen to Christ. So John is a type of Christ. The parallels are evident. Here's just a few. Both are hated by the leaders. Both are arrested. Both undergo a kangaroo court. Both are hated to their deaths, deaths. both are rejected, and both are shown dignity in their burial. It was prophesied in Isaiah 52 that Jesus would be buried with rich men in his deaths, deaths, plural, and he was in the tomb of one of of Israel's rich religious leaders. This is the real reason for the backstory. It isn't just about the gaps of what happened to John. It's about reminding you that John is a type of Christ and he lived the life that Christ also lived and they will both pay the price for living the way God wants them to live. We just have to ask ourselves, are we willing to pay that price? Here's some applications. Number one, unbelievers will go to great lengths to rid the world of the influence of Jesus. Right now we learn that some of them are just trying to kick the last bit of dirt in on his grave. They don't understand that he's not even there. I thought a little reminder from Proverbs 17:12 would be helpful. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. It is foolishness to act in terms of revenge on a fellow believer who was pointing out something in your life that isn't right and you need to change. It's foolishness to react in anger like a bear robbed of its cubs. Instead, like David, we should fall on our knees and admit our sin and thank God that somebody pointed it out and tried to keep us on the right path. Is that person a sinner? Of course we are. We're all sinners like that. Therefore, it must be done with as much love as we can muster to to give. And finally... I think the call is uh, that John also teaches us, friends, that we should stay faithful to the Word of God no matter what it costs, which means we have to be dedicated to the truth of the Word of God. And also remember this 1 John 4 4. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then this is true of you. When John said, You are from God, little children and have overcome them, meaning the unbelieving world. How did we do that? Well, it says, because greater is he who is in you, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of of the Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's Satan. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are all saddened by what the world thinks of Christianity and what they think of Christians and especially what they think of you. And we know that you came to love your enemies. You loved us when we were still enemies. And you opened up our hearts to understand and receive the truth. I pray that you would help us to be spurred on by what we see in our world today and what we see in the past to be working very hard To share the gospel of Jesus with people who need to be rescued and snatched from the fire. Give us opportunities. Give us the courage to take them. And to share with great clarity that sin needs to be repented of. That forgiveness is at hand. And that it comes through faith. And we can have new life in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for that glorious message of salvation that you have given us to share with others may we share in jesus name we pray amen